Welcome to Something to Eat and Something to Read, a podcast by me, food writer Sophie Hansen, and Jermaine Lease, a bibliotherapist and psychotherapist based in Sydney. Hello, Jermaine. How are you going? Hi, Sophie. I'm well, thanks. Looking forward to talking about a lot of books today. Yes. Well, we're back with um, our second episode and we want to say a big thank you to all the lovely people who have listened in to number one and um, and are back for more. So we are two women who firmly believe that um, nobody should go long or very far without something to eat and something to read. And today's episode is brought to you by another woman who shares the same belief and her business, Kitchen to Table. Kitchen to Table is a a specialist store based in Yamba in New South Wales, but they're also online and in non-COVID times. Um, Meredith and her amazing team do cooking classes and culinary tours. So we're going to hear more from them or from Meredith later in the episode. Well, let's get straight into the book. But actually, before we do, um, I just want to let everyone know that Sophie and I have um, had quite a few messages from people wanting to know if they should read the book that we're going to talk about before listening. And, uh, and so we thought, It'd actually be more helpful if we put a list of the books we're planning to read up. And if you want to read before the episodes, please do. And if you don't, uh, it also won't matter. But we're going to start a new Instagram page called Something to Eat and Something to Read next week. And on that, we'll have uh, the books that are coming and uh, you can tune into that if you want to. But today, we're actually talking about a very small book as in short, um, called Tin Man by Sarah Winman. I guess before we start talking about the shape it's left on us, I'll just give a quick synopsis in, for people who haven't read it before. But it's a story of three people, Ellis, Michael and Annie, and the book starts when Ellis and Michael meet when they're only 12 years old and they're living in Oxford, England. They become best friends and uh, then that turns into something more in their teen years. And then the book abruptly moves into the 90s, 1990s. Um, Ellis is now middle-aged and uh, he has been married to Annie and uh, he, and both Annie and Michael are no longer alive and we don't really know why. Uh, and then it moves to Michael's story, which is in the 1980s, and then we start piecing together what has happened. So I thought before talking about the shape the book's left on me, I wanted to hear from you first, Sophie, because when we first had the idea for this podcast, you were really keen to talk about this book that we'd both read a few years ago when it was first published. And I remember you talking about this ASMR <laughs> feel that um, Sarah Women gave you when she described the food. And it was really funny because at the time I thought, oh, I don't really remember the food. So I'm really curious about that first experience of reading the book for you and then the experience of reading it now? Yeah, so I find actually I've read all, oh, sorry, three of Sarah Winman's books, um, When God Was a Rabbit, Tin Man and more recently Still Life, and I find the way she talks about um, little and big experiences, just someone bringing you a steaming mug of coffee or a meal or um, just day-to-day moments of you know, the way the light hits a painting or, or whatever. I just find the way she brings those moments to life incredibly moving and soothing. And I mentioned that um, idea of ASMR, which is Autonomous Sensory Meridian Response. And I, I, it's become a big thing on, on the internet and people, you know, like eating toast and buttering bread and it's 
gives people a certain reaction. I just find her writing does something like that to me, gives me a kind of spinal cord reaction, but um, especially when she writes about um, a meal or a food experience. But, yeah, I just find this a really quiet, Mm. really moving book and um, I'm really excited to talk to you about it today actually because um, it's not a blockbuster there's, it's not like a huge amount happens really. I mean, it does. It spans, it feels a little bit like an epic because it does span a lot of time and a lot goes on, but it's more just to do with those day-to-day moments that get you through bigger things. Does that make sense? <laughs> mm, completely. I, I agree. I mean, I said it's a little book. I suddenly thought, what do I mean? But I think you're right. It's on a small stage of people, but it's this massive, it's about, the, the the everyday people and how they lived in the context of their time. So mm. yes, while we we're only talking about four characters, um, we lived through the AIDS epidemic in the nineteen eighties mm. with them, and we live through other historical events. And she does that beautifully in her books, doesn't she? Like mm. I've like you, I've read the same three, and I loved when God was a rabbit which is September 11, actually. That's Mm. the big historic event she pivots around. Mm. And then Still Life, which actually you brought up having read in our first episode and I said it was on my pile and my mother had been raving about it, listened to it on Audible actually, and so loved it that as soon as it finished she went back and listened again. Oh, wow. And there are so many historic moments in that book too, Mm. aren't there? Mm. Um, But... But overall, for Sarah Women's writing, it's the characters that hook me in mm. because they're so flawed and they're so vulnerable and they're so lovable at the same time. They're, uh, quirky just feels like a cliched word, but there's something so unique about her characters that you could never, there, there's no caricatures, I suppose, mm. and that makes them very, very believable. Mm. Uh, but I think. It's also, as you say, with the food, when you talked about the food and the ASMR, when I read it the first time, it was just this true ultimate love story for me. I just was so taken by the intensity of falling in love, the intensity of um, friendship. And, you know, my favourite line from that time was always a line from Annie when she's talking to Michael, trying to understand if Michael and Ellis had had a relationship. Um, I'll just read you the quote. She just wanted to know, she said, to be part of us. There's something about first love, isn't there? She said, it's untouchable to those who played no part in it, but it's the measure of all that follows, she said. I just find that incredibly poignant to think that those, well, it's like any of those early experiences, they shape us. They Mm. shape what follows. I love that and I love, um, I read actually when I was preparing for this chat with you, I read an interview with um, Sarah Winman and a big thing she wanted to impart, I guess, in this book um, is the idea that men and boys are capable of beauty and beautiful things as well and I I really love that Mm. and I really love the way she writes male characters, which I think is with such a um, a tenderness, which I think is quite rare. And I love how um, the book starts with Dora, Mm. who's um, Ellis's mum, and how she bought the, or she won a raffle um, and she was with her husband who's not a very nice character. Um, and she wins a raffle and she can choose between mm. this reproduction of Van Gogh's sunflowers or a bottle of whiskey and the husband and all his mates are 
you know, bawling, whiskey, 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 and she defies him, the first sort of act of defiance in this um, marriage, and she takes home the, the painting. And I love how much that painting means throughout the book. It kind of comes in and out, and it's this idea mm. of, of beauty. And I wrote this quote down. Um, so years after Dora's death, Ellis um Sarah, Sarah writes, he stops in front of his mother's painting and wondered, as he mm. so often did, what she'd been looking for. He found the painting peaceful, so it could have been as simple as that. Peace, he didn't think so, but some mornings when the light fell on the canvas, the yellow did something to his head, woke him up, make him, make, made him feel brighter. Was that it, Mum? And I I have uh, prints, pictures at home mm. that when I look at, they bring me peace. And I think also the way she talks about that act of, um, I think later on, Ellis's neighbour brings him a cup of coffee on a cold morning in Oxford in their back garden and it almost undoes him, that simple gesture. Mm. And I think it's those quiet moments in mm. all of the books that really speak to me the most. Um, so, yeah, that's the shape it's left on me. <laughs> uh, yes, well, I think that's so true what you say about the art too. It's she's so clever at um evoking all our senses isn't she and so it's interesting the first time around it was the sense of what it's like to fall in love it left on me and for you it was the sense of actually the falling in love with food um but it's also as you say in that artwork it's it's the vibrancy of the yellow and what and looking at that painting and what it gave to Dora the escape from a very working class um, difficult life and a difficult marriage it's funny because this morning actually when I was having breakfast I was reading Sunday Life and um the wine writer Max Allen was writing a piece about um how wine can bring you back to a, a time and a place as well and during lockdown we can't get away to visit a vineyard or to have a glass of wine we once had somewhere else and he talks about, um, you, you know, choose your wine that reminds you of where you got it from or the memory you have around it. So he was saying lemony freshness of a young semion takes him straight back to the blue skies of the hunter. And uh, when you drink that wine, you get to revisit that time and place, which um, actually made me think of of you and your um, your recipe books, which are all about let's not just think about the meal, but let's think about the people we have it with and the weather and all that kind of thing. Mm. And um, I think this is actually every, all those senses and experience and being transported um, are in this book. And it made me think actually last time we spoke and you asked me how reading is grounding when you're not actually physically toiling in the ground, like in the garden or, or, make, or feeling ingredients when you're cooking. And actually, I think um, this book is a perfect example of how reading can also fire up your senses through the descriptions of doing all those mm. things. Uh, reading about food, like in him, uh, or caring for people through food um, is, a, is also what I, my shape. Reading it now, thinking about you and um, what we're doing here, the shape it left on me was that food, stands in for care when sometimes words aren't needed mm. um what what do you think about that with food and and care well yes i i agree a million percent what i really like about this and it's the same in still life because 
Um, meal times there are a real symbol of belonging and being part of something and at that table in that apartment in Florence um, or downstairs in the cafe. You know, it's all this sort of mm. bunch of misfits really who find their kind of um, their chosen family around those tables and that really speaks to me mm. and that idea of care um, in quiet ways and I hope you don't mind it. I just wanted to read um, this, my favourite scene in this book is when um, – Michael, after his partner um, dies of AIDS, I believe, um, and he goes back to France, back to the south mm. of France, which is such a kind of common thread through this book, and he, he's been hiking and he's just exhausted and, and uh, you know, so terribly just fallen, you know, filled by sadness. And he, he founds his way to this priest's house and the priest, you know, gives him a very simple room and he's and and then it says, um, a knock at the door brings me to my feet. Light floods in. The priest carries a tray of, bed, of bread and fruit and cheese and an open bottle of wine. He places the tray on the desk, lights the candle and turns to go. I reach out for his arm. Eat with me, please. There's enough, I say. The priest stays. We eat. We don't speak, but we drink from the same glass. The long walk has reinstated my appetite and my mouth comes alive to the sourness of the bread the musty ooze of the cheese, the succulent sweetness of the apricots. Thank you, I say. Merci. My head shaking slightly in disbelief and gratitude. Oh, isn't that just so beautiful? I just, that mm. silent, simple meal that those two men share. It is, and that's the line that grabbed you. And I remember that's the, you talked about the apricots all that time ago when you were saying how much you wanted this book. That is the quote that made this book for you, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It's just that kind of the quietness yeah. and the care and and the simplicity and I to me like my ultimate meal would be um, a beautiful oozy cheese a ripe, ripe apricot and a bottle of wine on a summer's mm -hmm. evening like that's all you need isn't it it's just so yeah I just think that's really mm. beautiful so and that maybe you don't even need conversation. I think I'm really struck with how they didn't need, they shared a meal but they didn't need to talk and they drank from the same glass there's something so powerful when you're emotionally hurting about just being with someone, um, you know, rather than doing something for them. And it reminded me actually, of, you know, this lockdown and all we've been able to do is walk with one friend and it's actually been one highlight is um, catching up with this very old university friend who um, we usually only see each other a couple of times a year, but now we're seeing each other weekly and going on a walk together. And she was talking about a friend of hers whose mother is dying and the friend's caring for her mother and she was saying how she and a group of friends were trying to think of something to give as a present to this friend and they it was so hard to work out what they wanted to do. And then she said oh, when her father died, probably about 10 years ago now, she said, you know, you gave me the best thing. And I was thinking in my head, oh, my God, what did I, what did I do? And she said, um, you arrived with a box of tea leaves and some chocolate chip cookies and we sat in the garden and had tea and ate the biscuits and it was just perfect. And I thought, and when she said that, I then remembered it, but I thought the only reason I think I would have even thought to do that was because someone did that for me when my father died five years prior to that and there is something about drinks warm drinks or alcoholic drinks perhaps mm. um and and sitting and not even necessarily talking but just sitting and sharing a 
cup of tea. Mm. Like Ellis's neighbour, the young Jamie, I think you said that earlier, when he wanted to help him in the garden and Ellis said no and he just appeared with a mug of strong tea and a plate of biscuits mm. and then just sat and they talked about the rugby. It really made me think about drinks as care as well. What do you think about that? I, yes, I agree. And actually um, when I was putting together my book, A Basket by the Door, uh, it was really – actually it was after the book had come out and I was out and about promoting it and I collected some really – well, people shared so many lovely stories and one of them makes me think of what you were just saying. Um, a family friend of ours actually, she had just come to the end of her um, – uh, last round of um, chemotherapy she was she's good like she's she's well again now but she was going through cancer treatment at the time and they lived um, on a property it was during the drought and they'd come home from the hospital and she was just feeling rotten mm. and a, a friend had delivered to their door an esky with um, just a, a, a container of figs from that person's garden and a couple of bottles of ice cold mineral water mm. and she said so she and her partner oh. just sat on the veranda and drank this ice cold mineral water and ate cold figs from fresh from, from the tree. And she said it was just perfection. It was all we needed. And oh, I'm getting emotional mm. again. I just think, you know, that idea of really stopping to think, <laughs> what does that person need? What can I give them? And what would I feel like if I was in that position? And it's probably not alcohol and it was probably not hot tea. Mm. It was it was something cold and fresh and yeah, I think mm. little gestures are actually such a big thing um, and, and it's kind of reassuring because we are mm. all busy and we don't all have time to make spend a whole day making a chicken pie for someone, but you can put a fresh cold bottle of, you know, mineral mm. water in an esky and take it to someone. So I, I like that idea of um, small gestures that mean big things, yeah. Yeah. Actually, that really nicely sums up this whole book, doesn't it? There's so many small gestures that lead to huge life-changing love. Yeah, yeah it does. And I think actually mm. um, maybe possibly coming to the end of our little recap of this book, um, and also we would love to hear what you guys, our listeners, think about this. And and as Jermaine said, we're going to have a like a something to eat, something to read book club as such that we're going to um, have on a new Instagram page that we're setting up. And we'd love to hear what you think about if you've read Tin Man or if any of this resonates or if you have stories to share. We would really love to hear them. But um, the other mm. thing that Tin Man I think is about is relationships that don't always meet your expectations and that I guess brings us quite neatly to our letter. What do you think, Jermaine? Perfect. Yes. <laughs> I think you've um, got it in one. Yes. <laughs> um, here we go. Shall I read it out loud? Okay. That'd be great. Okay. Uh, dear Jermaine and Sophie, what a wonderful and comforting idea to think about books and cooking to ponder life and all its wonder. Tonight, over a glass of wine, my neighbour and I were discussing the relationship with our respective in-laws. I expressed how mine are really lovely people, but I find the relationship disappointing. It could be wonderful. It is not bad. It is just disappointing and leaves me wondering, is it me? Is it them? After 20 years, will it, will it ever be different? Reflecting, there are other times that this experience emerges in our lives. Old friends that have grown apart, school mums that you meet and hope for more, but it does not evolve. Maybe, maybe it is siblings or parents. In my in-law situation, I have often used food as a gift, an olive branch of sorts, but there is not really a rift to mend. It is just a disappointing relationship. So why do some relationships disappoint us and what books or comforting recipes can help us make sense of complex human interactions? With love from Anonymous. <laughs> oh, I'm really keen to know your thoughts on this, Jermaine. Mm -hmm. Over to you. 
Oh, well, relationships, hey? Um, it's part of being human. I think this letter just will speak to all of us because, yes, we all end up being disappointed by relationships. And I love um, Freud had a quote about, um, we didn't have a quote, I suppose he wrote this in one of his books, that flowers are restful to look at. They have neither emotions nor conflicts. Uh, and I think that's a, a great way to um, realise how normal it is to feel disappointed uh, because actually all relationships in our lives delight and if they delight, they equally have to disappoint. We can't have one without the other mm. in the same way we can't have joy without sorrow. And I think this just becomes so noticeable in those relationships that we really have a huge investment in and, you know, you can't think of a much bigger investment than in-laws in, um, I think those relationships become too and that we we all have a fantasy about what our family might look like when we get married or partner and join another family and all those uh, expectations come from our own uh, individual stories and experiences and I think um, it's interesting how um, that fantasy ends up changing too that that there's a fantasy of I want to be really close to my in-laws I really want to embrace my partner's family um also then flips at the you know years later I'm noticing now I've got friends who are suddenly having to welcome children's partners into their families and it's the same all the same fears of expectation and disappointment Mm. um and how they want to be in that new relationship uh, and and so, yes, yeah, so I guess really all, all I can say, I think, is that the only certainty we have in relationships is that they're complex and mm-hmm. they need to be navigated um, because none of us are flowers without emotions because we're human. What do you think, Sophie? Um, yes, I agree 100%. And I love that quote about flowers. Um it's just spot on. I I went, I, I had some um, therapy a couple of years ago when I was going through some things I needed some help making sense of. And um, this wonderful woman said to me, you need to just lower your expectations a bit. Just bring your expectations down because relationships will disappoint you and people will disappoint you and you will disappoint people. And as long as you just think about people's intentions, you know, because when someone in a relationship disappoints you, 99 times out of 100, it's not on purpose, right? They're just busy or they forgot or they said something that they didn't mm. realise was going to touch a nerve or or they just stuffed up by mistake and they didn't mean to, they're not setting out to mm. upset you or to, to um, disappoint you. And I really, that really resonated with me. So not that lowering your expectations is always a good thing, but I think sometimes just managing them and just realising that people mm-hmm. aren't out to disappoint you, it's not personal, it's just sometimes we trip over ourselves mm. and I, I really liked that. Um, but, yeah, I think um, it is relationships are, as you say, complicated and especially now we were talking before we started recording um, how uh, like social media right now is a funny place to be. Everyone's a bit scratchy and everyone's a bit on edge and saying mm. things in a way that in their head maybe don't sound um, uh, cranky or tricky, but we might read them a certain way. So, um, mm. yeah, I, I think I don't know why all relationships disappoint us, but I guess you just have to, um, I don't know, just realize that 
people are just doing their best with what they have. And um, I did, someone did say to me once, you know, you have friendships for a reason, a season or a lifetime. And I know that's a bit of a cliche, but I think that is true too. Mm. Like you have friends that are with you forever and then sometimes just because circumstance they throw you in, you, you're in each other's path and, and then, you know, your life moves in a different direction. Mm. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that? Mm, I think that's definitely true with friendships because there's a bit more choice in friendships, isn't there? But when we're talking about family, yeah. our own siblings or siblings' partners or um, in-laws particularly, uh, it's not quite as easy to see them for a season. <laughs> well, no, it could be, I suppose, no, if, that's true. if yeah, relationships that's end. Yeah. But, um, no, no, but um, I, I do think, though, that we also all go through our own seasons and our expectations are different in different seasons of our life too. And, you know, with, it's not, as you say, it's not about lowering the expectations, but I think it's about really recognizing where we have a fantasy of how we'd like someone to be. Mm. And then actually realizing, no, this is how they are. And when we see the reality, we can then start seeing the good intentions or the, the different way they have of, of showing support or or being in relationship. Um, so it's almost like we have to consciously realise when we're in that fantasy bubble of this is what the perfect in-law relationship should look like, say, um, and we go, well, this is what my in-law relationship looks like and how do I want to show up in it? Uh, that's when I think we have real change. Just had a light bulb moment. Thank you, Jermaine. I feel like I'm getting free therapy from you in this podcast. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think that's so true is letting go of the fantasy and just being a bit more realistic. Actually, but on that note, I'd love to know what, what is the book that you've recommended to this reader to kind of help make sense mm. of a bit of this? Yeah, well, I um, it's funny because actually at the end of um, reading Tin Man or the, the coincidence of this letter arriving and this book, um, you're right that actually all Sarah Winman's novels would do a very good job for our letter writer as well of um, – that idea of all these relationships don't meet people's expectations, but actually when they're seen for what they are, they become even more rich. Um, but the book I am actually prescribing for our letter writer is uh, a book called Early Morning Riser by Catherine um, Heine, I think is how you say her surname. I don't know if you've heard of Catherine Heine before, Sophie, no. but she wrote Standard Deviation a few years ago, which is another novel filled with a very quirky family. So I say quirky again. I wish I could come up with a better word to describe really original characters. But this book is a story that shows what happens when we do let go of a fantasy of what might have actually been and actually see what is and then how we can be even more fulfilled that way. Um, on the back of the book, it describes it as an unconventional family story, but I think the whole point I'm trying to make is we're all pretty unconventional um, and it's about a woman called Jane who moves to a small town in Michigan and it starts in 2002. She's a young teacher. She falls in love with a local man called Duncan um, and then it moves forward in time all the way up to 2019 and she and Duncan, she anticipates falling in love, getting married, having a family, but she doesn't anticipate all the people that sort of come with Duncan, um, including his um, ex-wife and her very strange new husband. And 
um, a character called Jimmy, who's Duncan's co-worker, and I don't want to say too much about what's um, going on with Jimmy because he sort of becomes the impetus for the story, but she has to readjust to what she imagined happiness in the relationship would look like. Um, But the other reason I chose this book is because it's incredibly funny. Catherine Heine has such a lightness of touch to her writing, but it says it's really quite deep. And um, she, let me just read out a quote of what I mean by living in a fantasy and how often I've done this myself. And I'm sure you have too, because we're all human. But um, this is an example when she has her first dinner party. Now that Jane had a boyfriend, she wanted to have a dinner party. She would serve pot roast with carrots and mashed potatoes and later everyone would say, such a simple meal, but Jane made it so elegant. It did eventually occur to her that the only part of the dinner party she was looking forward to was one that happened after everyone had gone home and she wouldn't, in fact, be around for it. But by then the invitations had gone out. Um, And I really relate to uh, sometimes looking most forward to the postmortem of an event rather than the real thing. And what about you, Sophie? Oh, definitely. That moment where you kind of sit down and the candle's almost burnt out and you have that last glass of wine and um, maybe that perfect scoop of ice cream towards the end and and debrief. Mm. Um, Yeah, that's always been a fun part of of any kind of entertaining experience and I think actually we've all been we're all so out of practice with entertaining we're gonna need that debrief more than ever once we start getting back into it Mm. many months of lockdown um I can't wait to read that book it sounds sounds fabulous so my pile of things to read is growing um very tall uh thanks to this podcast (laughs) so the recipe that I thought about this one um well actually it could really be just that the priest's platter of the apricot the cheese the bread and the wine I think um Mm. olive branch you couldn't get much better but um another thing I I I would make, um, if in doubt, I kind of make meatballs or polpettoni, which is basically like an Italian kind of meatloaf. But there's a recipe in my book in Good Company for this polpettoni, which is just like highly flavoured with lots of fresh herbs and breadcrumbs and garlic and um, some gentle spices. And then you kind of wrap it in prosciutto and bake it in this very delicious tomato sauce, um, parmesan on the top. And when you serve that with some um, sharp pickles and maybe some warm sourdough and a crunchy green salad, it's just one of those universally appreciated. It's comfort food, but it feels, you can feel mm-hmm. the effort that someone's put into it. So it's that kind of, um, in terms of olive branch food, it's um, it's not too challenging. It's not going to freak anyone out. It's delicious. It's homely, but it feels a bit special. So I think something like that, whether you make it to share or to drop and run as a sort of, um, I thought you might like this, you've had a busy <laughs> week, um, here's a delicious poppetoni and a salad and a loaf of bread and a bottle of wine in a basket, um, that couldn't but make someone feel really appreciated and um, mm. uh, the opposite of indifferent. <laughs> but I, the, and then for dessert I would probably <laughs> do, I don't know what that word is, it's not different, Um I would probably do something like a lemon delicious pudding, that kind of uh, those sorts of warm puddings Mm. that have got the tang and the brightness from the lemon and that kind of comforting um, heft of the sponge and then the kind of curd that forms at the bottom. So I think food like that that um, isn't too challenging but is still just so delicious and generous and good, 
I would say something like that it would be a good thing to make um, for a meal for people who you really want to kind of um, build something and as you say affect maybe a bit of change um, what do you think Oh, that sounds delicious. I'd be, I'd be more than happy if that turned up on my doorstep. I think um, it's interesting when you talked about the yellowness of the lemons, it just reminded me of Tin Man again and the yeah. whole going back to the um, sunflower piece of art. And I love how you've done a dessert as well as mm-hmm. a main course because there's just some. I was thinking during this lockdown, trying to differentiate weekends from weekdays, Mm. I found really hard with the kids, but I started doing a Saturday night dessert night as um, just, oh, it's the weekend, it's Saturday night dessert night and Sunday brunch cooked or pancakes or whatever. But um, the kids have really enjoyed going, oh, so even when I forget and I've had to run up to the shops for a box of Magnums, it's sort of like, oh, it's Saturday. Oh, what's for dessert then? And there's something about that extra intention of care. And it's interesting because our letter writer says um, she's often tried to use food as an olive branch. And I think going back, as you say, to looking at someone's intentions after, you know, when you've realised this is who they are, what are their, their intentions are always good. There's something extra caring and special, I think, in mm. in um offering a dessert to um and a, a very much a comforting element you know warm pudding is very goes back to our comfort food conversation too doesn't it yeah I think that's really lovely and and I have two quick thoughts about that um I agree with you about dessert because it's not necessary is it dessert is not a necessary meal it's joy and it's delight and when you put a dessert down it's can't help but feel kind of that rush of um, a rush of joy and appreciation. And the second thing I want to say is that colour yellow, I'm holding up my book so you can see it, but it's on the cover is a yellow mm. band. But I also was thinking about the title of this book and then I read another interview with Sarah Winman um, and there is a reference to the Yellow Brick Road in the title being The Tin Man from mm. Wizard of Oz and this idea of yellow mm. and hope and mm. um, moving towards you know, a journey and a destination and hope. Um, so I thought that was quite a nice connection too, which I hadn't thought about. I'd, I hadn't actually thought about yeah. the cover, sorry, the name of the book um, until recently. So anyway, I quite liked that connection too. I think we are almost at the end of our podcast. Before we kind of begin to wrap things up, we are very luckily going to hear from um, Meredith Marshall, who is from um, Kitchen to Table, our sponsor for this episode. And we are so excited to be working with Meredith because she's actually sponsoring the next three episodes, um, which helps us um, exist. And Meredith is going to share with us a recommendation and a, a recipe and a book um, that relates to this letter as well. So over to you, Meredith. Hi, I'm Meredith from Kitchen to Table, a kitchen shop and cooking school in Yamba, northern New South Wales. Our beautiful shop is stocked with things we love for our kitchens, homes and entertaining. We love connecting with people through our cooking school where we travel the world, albeit virtually, through food and cooking. We share simple, delicious recipes along with tips and techniques to make cooking fun and rewarding. We also host food tours, which are obviously on hold for the moment, to faraway places like Italy and Morocco. We are also planning tours that explore wine and food regions in our own backyard, so please stay tuned for those. 
At the moment, I'm cooking a prawn, chili and garlic pasta as it's quick, easy and delicious. Yamba is famous for its seafood, especially prawns. Either the larger king prawns or the small school prawns, both are really yummy. Also, the weather is starting to warm up here and this pasta dish is quick to put together for an easy and satisfying dinner. You'll need some green prawns, garlic, chili, cherry tomatoes, lemon and oil, along with some good quality pasta, such as spaghetti or fettuccine. What I'm reading. I love traveling and hosting food tours uh, in Morocco and Italy. However, with the global pandemic, travel and tours are on hold for now. So during the past year, I found myself drawn to books that transported me to these places through the words on the pages. I really enjoyed reading A, Ho a Year at Hotel Gondola by Nikki Pellegrini. It's a love story set in Venice, but where food and cooking feature heavily throughout the book. I loved walking the streets, riding the Vaporetto, stopping at the bar for an aperitivo and shopping at the markets for local seafood and produce with the main character, Kat, who then cooked up delicious food to share with newfound friends. It's an easy to read, captivating story that I found hard to put down. I hope you'll enjoy it too. Thank you, Merida. Thank you so much um, for your support of our project. And we have another cameo, um, Chrissy Reading, who is our producer. And as she said last time, with, with a surname like Reading, she couldn't not be working on this project with us. Chrissy's going to just jump in with another cameo and give us her thoughts about the letter and her recommendations for a book. Thanks, Chrissy. Thanks, Sophie. Tricky relationships, challenging, tough ones. Oh, many of us have been there, haven't we? And when pondering this topic, my mind first went to a book I read a couple of summers ago. It's called The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart by Holly Ringland. If you've heard of it before, it might be because it won the 2019 Australian Book Industry Awards General Fiction Book of the Year. A warning though, if family domestic violence is a trigger for you, you might want to tread carefully. Holly Ringland's writing about the violence it stings. The story starts with a violent and tumultuous home life for young Alice. The situation leads to a life with her flower farmer grandmother. Following the trauma, words become too much for Alice. And instead, it's the language of Australian native flowers that help her say what's too hard and painful to speak out loud. Holly's writing transports you. Here's a bit of an excerpt. June rose from bed, slid her feet into her bloodstones and went silently through the house to the back door. Outside, the world was cool and blue. She held herself in it, breathing it in. She hadn't slept well, not even after draining her flask of whiskey. As the sky lightened, she collected clippers and a basket before making her way through the fields towards the native flower greenhouses. The morning was filled with the low drone of bees and occasional magpie song. Inside the greenhouse was rich and damp. You can almost smell that, can't you? The Lost Flowers of Alice Hart is beautiful, heart-wrenching, while also being heartwarming. It's a powerful story of how relationships can impact the rest of our lives, but it's also about resilience and female friendship, and that they might not always be perfect, but they can be very healing. Thanks, 
Christy. I think um, everyone's reading piles in this show have now <laughs> been increased a lot today. Yeah. So yeah, we've come we've come to the end of our second episode. Thank you everyone for listening and supporting us. And I just want to remind um, our listeners that each episode we will be doing this format. So we will be reading out a letter uh, asking for a book prescription and a recipe recommendation to help people with whatever is going on in their lives at the moment. So just also want to remind people that each letter we read out the writer will receive a bottle of wine from single vineyard sellers um, and you'll be able to find our email addresses for sending your letters and more information about single vineyard sellers in our newsletter show notes at the end thanks Jermaine and a final thank you to Smith and Jones. Um, they're a local or Bathurst-based uh, duo. They're songwriters and singers and musicians, and they've been very generous in letting us use their music for our episodes. So stay on for um, the full song of our intro tune, and also we're going to hear from them next episode, and they're going to come in with some musical recommendations, which um, I can't wait to hear. So we're Ooh. really engaging the senses, aren't we? Um, Jermaine, we'll have to bring, um, who will we do next? We've got music, we've got sound, we've got touch, we've got reading, but we have to think of some more people to bring in to round out the full senses. But thank you for listening. Thank you, Jermaine, for spending this time with me. Um, I just could chat with you all day. <laughs> <laughs> um, me too, Sophie. Thank you. Um, yes, it's a, it's we should be calling this podcast Podcast of the Senses or something, shouldn't we, just <laughs> yeah. thinking about how we're without even realising it, we're engaging them all. Uh, So, yes, I can't wait to talk to you next time when we're actually embarking on a psychological thriller. Uh, So anyone who wants to read along with us or read before, uh, please do. We're going to read uh, Nikki French's latest book, The Unheard. Uh, Nikki French is actually a husband and wife team. Uh, I think, gosh, I can't, oh, they must have written nearly 20 psychological thrillers now um and this is their latest one that just came out i think in um september beginning october so again it's called the unheard by nikki french and we'll have more information about the book on uh, our new instagram page i can't i've never read any of their books and um it's not a genre that i read much of um so i'm fascinated Mm. to read and to see what connections we can draw between cooking and food and psychological thrillers. And I know you have (laughs) lots to say about that, so we'll have to wait for next time. But thanks for the suggestion. I'm looking forward to it. Good. Well, I can't wait to talk to you about it as well. (laughs) Yeah. And please, um, if you have enjoyed our chat today, we would really appreciate if you'd um, leave us a review over on Apple Podcasts or rate and review. And don't forget that our newsletter that goes out with each episode is full of links to everything we mentioned, the recipe, Jermaine's book and more. So please sign up so you don't miss out on all of that goodness. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks, Jermaine. Thanks, Sophie. See you next time.
simple kind of romance. I love, I ain't never seen. 